On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Mark Isham. He is the VP of Application Engineering at Full Story. We're going to be talking about a couple of different things about how he does planning um, across the org, but with a slightly maybe different twist. We're going to talk about some of the uh, privacy implications within the product. Uh, not every engineering org has to deal with it, and there'll be some aspects there. And um, I know Mark uh, uh, has a, a, a nice sized team and has to go through uh, a lot of the processes that everyone uh, does, but we're going to talk to him about how he prioritizes and uh, kind of where does he uh, lock things down, how much flexibility. Um, I'm excited to have you on, Mark. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Amir, for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Let's start off at the top. Let's uh, let's find out what Full Story does. And then uh, just VP of Application Engineering, what are some of those responsibilities you have? Absolutely. Yeah. So full story, our mission is to provide the perfect digital experience for our customers. So what, what exactly does that mean? For us, it means, and I like to describe it almost as a, imagine almost you have a time machine where you can capture what your users are going through on your website or your mobile app. So maybe a few weeks back, maybe a few months back, they might have encountered an error or they're having problems with their checkout flow, or they're not converting into registered users, for example. So what Full Story does is we capture very rich analytics about the the flows of what your customers are going through, how you know which pages they go through, you know where they encounter errors. Do they have a do they click on one button versus another? Right. So we capture that and we capture that scale. So Full Story actually captures hundreds of millions of pages per day uh, across tens of thousands of different domains for our customers. And our customers will actually log into the full story application and run analytics to, to find the workflows, to see the journeys of where their users are going through their application, drill down cohorts that are interesting to them. And then, you know, from that quantitative analysis, they're actually able to click through and actually view sessions of what their specific users have done. So we call that qualitative analysis, right? So you're able to marry both of those together to see what the users are doing and how they are aggregating that at scale. So obviously, you know, with that amount of data, privacy is a very important uh, aspect of what we do. And we scrub that data very, very thoroughly on the client side to make sure that no private information, no PII, no identifiable information comes through. So basically, you just have the aggregated data of almost like wireframes, right? Like just the interactions of the pages on it. So it's a pretty exciting product. We're really excited about it at Full Story. My, what I do at Full Story, my role is I lead up our. Um, I'm a VP of engineering at uh, Full Story. I lead up our application group and our channels group, and that is that owns the ingestion of the data into the platform. So, like I had mentioned, hundreds of millions of pages per day. So it's a it's a large scale operation that we're running through, and we have to do that in a manner that does does not impact the performance or the reliability of our customers' websites or mobile apps. So it's something that we take very seriously. We put a lot of effort into doing it at scale and doing it with minimal touch to the browser or to the mobile application. And then I work with my team. We have uh, about 160 engineers or so at Full Story. We've grown quite a bit over the last two years. Uh, pretty exciting on that. And we've, you know, we've had some planning successes and we've had some planning challenges. So I'm, I'm happy to kind of talk through that with you, Amir, on the podcast, because uh, hopefully we can all benefit from each other's experiences. Absolutely. I guess if we're going to start at the top, um, yeah, you mentioned, and actually, maybe what we should talk about just right off the top is what what planning looks like at Full Story, so that we can maybe then peel back the covers a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, we as a company, we try very hard to have both top down and bottom up planning as we approach uh, the year and the quarters. So, what I mean by that is, from a company perspective, we set so we use objectives and key results OKRs. I know a lot of companies use those. 
Uh, we will set goals as a company at the year level and at the quarter level. So for example, there's the obvious ones like revenue. Every company has goals around revenue, but there may be some less obvious ones or more bespoke uh, to your particular company. Uh, one, one area, for example, that I wanted to cite as an example is our, you know, we were expanding into Europe, for example. So we had a goal as a company to internationalize our product and to expand our data footprint into the EU, uh, which was actually you know, a heavy lift and it involved a lot of different teams working together to make that happen. Uh, that was something that we had planned uh, you know, last year for this year uh, and it hit many different teams. So from that goal, from that top-down goal uh, as a um, organization, we break that into quarterly objectives for our product engineering team. We also marry that with bottom-up. You know, our teams—we have about twenty-five different teams at Full Story right now, engineering teams, I should say. Um, they have their own backlogs. They have the technical debt. They have performance. They have features. They have things that they want to get done on their own backlogs as well. So we marry those two together at a quarterly basis. So at the beginning of the quarter, we go through a planning process. We prioritize, you know, what are the big, what we call the big rocks that we want to accomplish over the course of the quarter. Uh, and then we break that down into uh, iterations. So we will do two, uh, we'll do two week iterations. Every team is on the same two week schedule. Uh, that's we try to give our teams empowerment to uh, plan in a way that works best, but we do insist that they stay in the same two week schedule because that makes sequencing and dependency management and, uh, and just communication, you know, of what teams are working on a lot easier than having teams go rogue and some teams on four week schedules and some on three. We try to keep that uniform so that we're all on the same cadence. But then within that, we give our teams a lot of flexibility on how they plan, uh, you know, what, you know, how they do estimates. Do they even do estimates? Some do estimates, some do not do estimates, some do just rough sizing, some use different, you know, different tools to do, you know, some even do planning poker, some do not, right? So it's just a different. We want to empower our teams to work in a manner that works best because our teams are working on very different things. You can't prescribe a one size fits all. But then we boil up those metrics, you know, from a from an overall organizational standpoint, so we can have a good viewpoint of you know how we're tracking for the quarterly goals. So uh, it's worked pretty well. Uh, there's not without its problems, you know, and we're always learning and evolving along the way. But we've been pretty excited so far how that's progressed. Absolutely, I, I guess maybe a, a question uh, within the context of just planning you mentioned obviously there's the longer term yearly multi-year the the visionary roadmap there's the tactical technical and there's the you know down to the platform product level i guess when you're you know in your vp of engineering role and you're looking at the <clears throat> visionary roadmap and you know you have to marry it back to, to to something the team has to execute which is your technical roadmap what does that process look like obviously you're you're hearing the, the the roadmap product. People are like, you know, you know, the executive steering committee is coming up with all these great ideas, and you're like, well, yeah, that's great, and I sure I need to deliver on it, but you know, th there's some some realities of you know things take time. Absolutely, yeah, that's a great question, and that's you know, collaboration is key to that. We don't want to have just an executive say, you need to do this by this date, and make it happen. Uh, you know, first of all, that's usually not realistic what you can achieve in that, that timeline. Secondly, it's very off-putting to the team. You know, the team wants to be involved in the curation of what that goal is and involved with the journey of how to get there, right? Um, so we have a pretty tight working relationship between our product managers, our product designers, and our engineering leads, for example. We call those, we call it the triads internally, right? Like each project has a triad of those and they're involved 
from the very beginning of the planning process and even coming up with the goals themselves. You know, if there's some unknowns that need to be teased out, we might have a research spike or, or some sort of prototyping phase that we go through to get more clarity uh, in terms of what is achievable and what's not achievable. Um, but it's very much a collaborative environment where, you know, we, we have engineers involved in requirement writing. We have uh, PMs that sometimes look at pull requests and code, right? We have designers who are very much involved in the testing and what's going on in the application. We intentionally lower those barriers across these disciplines. So it's more of a team environment where the specialization is more of just uh, the skills maybe you brought from your prior career into the mix and less about your prescribed role for implementing, you know, this, this vision. We try to keep those barriers intentionally low. And we found really the best innovation comes out of that. You know, often engineers will have fantastic ideas for how to how the product could work you know much better than just coming from an executive like myself or someone right or just from a pm we want to give them the power to say like maybe it could work this way what if we did that right and giving them that sort of empowerment and and saying you know same vice versa with our product managers you know they might be uh trying out a feature say i don't i think there's a bug here you know can we look at this again i don't think we should ship with this right so we encourage that that collaboration and, and that involvement in a team setting. And that really, I think it, you know, it, it enables us to achieve the best result, but it also, it's just a lot more fun as a team. You know, no one wants to work on a team when someone's just telling them what they do. And then, you know, as a little automaton, they go do it. Right. Like we all want to be part of this journey together and, and it's a creative you know, engineering is a very creative uh, discipline and you want to exercise those creative muscles and create something cool and new, not just something that you're told to do. Absolutely. You know, I guess you touched on early on, you mentioned privacy. Um, and, and I guess when we talk about privacy, a lot of times it's viewed as overhead. But in this case, it's a part of the product. It's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a core pr product. I mean, it's a feature. It's, it's something that you guys have to include because every user wants to know that that level uh, of, of privacy is included. Is there any... And you mentioned the EU, obviously, and you're talking about privacy. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of different moving parts to make sure you cover the privacy component. You're talking about, you know, legal compliance issues across countries, borders. Like how, how does that go into the planning? Cause that is obviously very, you know, it seems like it has a lot of tentacles. Seems like obviously, you know, it, it's not the easiest thing to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah. And in many ways, uh, you know, it, it makes our solution harder because we, it's part of our DNA, right? Like we want, we understand the immense value of the data that we're collecting and, and our customers understand it. it's just so much rich insight. Like I mentioned the time machine, right? Like you don't know in advance sometimes what you want to instrument. So if you instrument a large swath of data, you can go back in time and answer questions that you may not have even thought to ask, you know, weeks or months back. That comes with an awesome responsibility though, right? Like we, we're all consumers of the web, just, you know, just as our customers and our customers users are right. We, take privacy very seriously. We don't want to live in a world, right? Like where your every user action is tracked, right? So we walk that line, you know, as a company where we want to uh, build in at the technology level safeguards uh, to prevent accidental uh, capture of information that's not, not even needed, right? If you're, to be honest, if you are a, a, you know, a product manager or an engineer or someone who wants to look at these insights from the past, you don't need to know someone's name. You don't need to know uh, you know, what they bought on an, on an e-commerce site or, you know, what the pages, you know, like what they're reading on an article that doesn't make any difference in terms of the insights you're trying. You just want to know if your page is usable. You want to know if they hit errors, right? So 
What we do actually at Full Story is we block uh, at the client level before it ever leaves the browser. We block all that textual content by default and our customers will have to actually... So it's a fail-close model, right? Even if they make changes to their website, something wouldn't accidentally leak out because they have to actually go and allow list it in to appear. Uh, so we block that content. It doesn't even leave the browser. doesn't leave the mobile app. doesn't go over the wire. doesn't hit our servers. If we were compromised uh, and someone hacked into our backend infrastructure, they wouldn't be able to get anything because we don't capture that data to begin with. So that is the safest approach. And it's how we operate as our, our culture, as our DNA. Like We don't want to live in that world either. We want to provide this, this rich information to our customers, but we don't want to do it in a way that's sleazy or nefarious or, or, or results in a world that we don't trust, right? Like we want to have that context without that, uh, that sort of uh, risk, both from a company standpoint and it's from a moral standpoint, you know, we want to win, when is the good guys, right? Like we want to do it the right way. So it's a core part of our DNA. It's a core part of our, our SDLC, how we develop software, like every line of code is code reviewed, uh, you know, by at least one other person, we have strict controls or any, code that touches privacy related areas, uh, mandatory unit tests and automated tests around it. Nothing goes out to production unless it passes green in the build. Um, very comprehensive automated tests around all those different scenarios. Uh, we're, we lean heavily into compliance, you know, even though we're not a, a fintech or a healthcare company, you know, by name, we, we treat ourselves that way, right? Like we have, uh, we go through very rigorous compliance protocols like SOC 2 and uh, ISO 27701, and we're pursuing some high trust right now and, uh, and other compliance protocols like that. And we do internal drills as well. We treat ourselves like a bank or like a healthcare company because of the responsibility we take on with that data. And that's something that's interesting from an engineering perspective because uh, there are it makes it harder from a technology standpoint to build it the right way. But that's always a non-starter for us to ever take shortcuts on that. And actually our engineers actually kind of enjoy the challenge. It makes it a harder technical, technical challenge and good engineers like harder problems, right? They want to do sure. things. <laughs> do you guys have a, a, a security team or a security spread across the engineering teams? Uh, we do. We do. We actually have several. We have a corporate security team as well as a product security team and a product trust team as well. But we we make it very clear to our engineers that privacy and trust is not the job of one team. <laughs> Just like QA is not the job of QA engineers, right? Like everyone should test their software. Everyone should take privacy and trust very seriously. And and you know, we use tooling and code controls to make that as you know, foolproof as possible, right? Like you don't want to rely on people to remember to do things. You want to have it be part of the process. So you, you, like I mentioned earlier, fail closed, for example, like if you make a mistake, then you will, you will fail on the side of uh, more restrictive instead of less restrictive um, as, as default. But then we also have these teams that are in place to kind of lead the charge, you know, maybe build out the tooling, educate, you know, we, uh, it's funny, we have a, I'm sure several companies do that, but we have our, our corporate security team, for example, will use tooling to send uh, our employees uh, fake phishing emails, for example, uh, to to basically uh, you know train us, right? And it's actually very effective, right? Like if you know we all get busy and you know you might get an email that looks pretty legit, and you click a link, and then the the, the bot will come up and say like you know you just failed, right? Like you you just got caught by this phishing attempt. Uh, you know, please, you know, go to this link to learn more about, you know, what you, what you just did. Right. So it's actually a pretty, pretty funny, pretty funny and effective internal tool, right. It trains you uh, in your life. And I, you know, it's funny. I have a, 
I've kind of personally have, uh, you know, propagated these sorts of lessons to my wife and family, for example, like, don't click that link, you know, check where it's from. Right. So it's all, I think engineers, you know, get it right. It's, it's, but still it's, you need those reminders, like in training actually helps. <laughs> it, it does Absolutely. reinforce those behaviors over time. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Obviously we've talked high level, big picture, you know, even privacy, obviously is a feature core to the product as well. You mentioned not being, you know, you want some flexibility on the teams and you want each team to adopt their own processes. Uh, obviously you meet with your managers, um, your reports who are, who are management. When you guys are looking at each team having flexibility, where does that start? Where does that stop? Like for, for you as an org, like, you know, what everything's open, whatever you want, make it your own, you know, execute to your uh, you know, best or, hey, listen, flexible, but within some parameters, because obviously we need some commonality. How do, how do you guys approach that? I know that's, that's a great question and something that, uh, you know, we, as we've, I, I think I've mentioned earlier, we had grown pretty rapidly over the last uh, couple of years uh, on our engineering team. And there's an evolution as you are, when you're a smaller company, you, you don't have the order end problems, you know, where you have such a large number of uh, folks doing their own thing and they can all, the boats can start rowing in different directions. It's easier because you can just lean over to the next guy over, right. To see how they're doing things. So that's a real challenge, right? Like we, we try to be prescriptive where it makes sense and not prescriptive where it's, it gets in the way of productivity. Right. So for example, um, we don't want our different teams using different ticketing systems, for example, right? Like one using Jira, one using shortcut, one using something else, right? Because aggregating data across the organization as a whole would become a nightmare at that point. Now you have someone whose job is basically to do exports from different tools, import it into a Google sheet sheet, and then like remediate it together into one common view. Like we, we try very hard to keep it standardized. We, we standardize on uh, our programming languages we use, you know, uh, based on the jobs at, at play, right? Like uh, we don't try to go to at least common denominator support, but we do want to uh, ease the barrier of entry for new engineers coming in so they don't have to learn five different programming languages. And each time they go to a new team, learn something new uh, for that team. So there are some boundaries that we have to set. Now there's soft boundaries. If, if there's a compelling case to move, you know, someone can make that and we'll, we'll weigh that decision to decide if we should move or not. Uh, but those boundaries do make sense to, to have some order from the chaos. But with that said, you don't want, not every team is the same. We have a, we have a team that works on uh, mobile app development, right? Or, or sorry, not app development, but mobile development for apps with our uh, capture technology. And they work on iOS and Android. And that's a very different problem than our server side folks or our data platform folks that work on um, our indexing infrastructure. It's completely different programming languages they work with, different tools, uh, different skill sets involved. So you don't want to try to prescribe what one team is doing in that arena to one team in another arena that's working totally different. It it just would never end up well, right? Like it's it, then you get to the, you know, you're only as strong as the weakest link sort of approach at that point. So we try to give them some flexibility, especially when it comes to the semantics of how they do their planning and how they do their estimates and, you know, when they, how they assign tasks and how they break up the work and that sort of thing. But tooling is an, an area, cross company tooling is an area that we try pretty hard to keep some uh, sanity uh, as we grow, uh, flexibility, but sanity at the same time. How do you guys, when it comes to one-on-ones, um, how is that is that per team um, customized per you know different 
you know, you mentioned obviously the mobile team's a little bit different. Obviously, each team's gonna have different just sheer personalities. Each leader's gonna have a different style. Do you let the the leaders on on each team run their one-on-ones differently, or do they kind of map to some some basic frameworks? Yeah, absolutely. Um I am a huge fan of one-on-ones. You know, we have a a, a people group internally who's actually uh very uh effective at giving some training on how to run effective one-on-ones. And then we have external speakers come in, give some coaching on that. We do, you know, I do coaching with my managers, uh, directors do coaching with their managers, that sort of thing. So there are best practices. There's not a template, you know, we don't require our managers, you know, fill out a form that says, did you talk about this, this, and this, but we do give some coaching, you know, to make it, you know, give some career guidance, not make it just a status meeting, uh, you know, make it a psychologically safe space uh, for individuals to, to, you know, provide some feedback on things that may not be working well in the team. And it's a two-way street, right? Like you want our managers to give career guidance and, and growth and feedback, but also have the uh, employee be able to give some feedback to the manager of maybe things that you could do better in the team or, or areas that uh, they're struggling with or need some help on, for example. So, uh, that is a big part of our DNA. Uh, another part, though, I really enjoy as well is, uh, is skip levels is a big part of our, our culture as well. So the directors, for example, will do skip levels, skip level one-on-ones uh, with folks uh, that their managers report to uh, as well. And I, I have found that in my career, not just full story, but prior to full story as well, to be a remarkably effective tool, especially for those who are uh, in upper management and engineering or not even engineering, really, in any discipline for that level as well. It helps with calibration just to make sure that you know everyone on the team is kind of rowing in the same direction, right? And sometimes that message may get distorted if it's going straight through the manager every time. Uh, it helps with honest feedback back to the you know to the director or the VP as well, just making sure that you're hearing directly from people on the ground how it really is. And it's very important to give them that psychological safety where they feel like they can say, "This is how I feel." This is you know, what's going on without fear of reprisal, right? Or uh, of their manager being uh, upset that they went over their head or anything. We, we make that just part of our, our culture to, to begin with, like very, very much not a uh, chain of command sort of culture where it's embraced and, and appreciated and actually encouraged by managers to talk to their manager, for example, to get to get that that voice and that that opinion out there as well. And it's all, you know, it also, I think it's helpful to the individual contributors as well. They just feel heard, right? It's, uh, you know, if you're younger in your career, just getting started and you have a recurring meeting on the, on the calendar with your VP or with your executive every three months or so, it's, it's, it feels good. It feels like you have a voice and it feels like they're listening to you and you're not just some cog in the machinery they don't care about. So we're big fans of that. Uh, it's worth the time. You know, often leaders may say, like, I don't have time for that. But if you set up your cadence just right, if it's every, three months, four months, five months or whatever, you can, you can make it work. You can fit it in if you try. Right. And uh, that's something I definitely encourage with my reports. And it's something that we believe in strongly in our culture as well. I like it. I mean, it, it sounds like a, uh, you know, a combination of, of guidelines, guide rails and flexibility, which I think is where most people tend to, to thrive. So it sounds like a super exciting uh, uh, place to be. Mark, I was going to say, thanks. Uh, thanks for being on and, chatting with us sharing uh, i think it's been a, a great conversation absolutely thanks amir for having me absolutely so two two questions before i let you go one is um if you could have a future guest answer any question or topic that you'd like to hear more about what, what would that be 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm I am fascinated with companies who have gone through growth from a startup company to a larger company. I, I love listening to stories from from peers or those who have done it before. Like just how do you manage that growth? How do you change a culture from a small startup sort of culture to a large enterprise company that has hundreds of engineers? That's fascinating to me. I always love to learn more on that. Awesome. Yeah, that's I, I, hopefully we get a couple more of those on. Um before the end of the year. And and if somebody does want to reach out to you to touch on anything you've talked about, what's a good way of getting a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, LinkedIn is always good. I think we'll, we're sharing my link in the uh, show notes as well. Uh, or email me as well. So I'm Mark Isham. That's my last name. It's spelled I-S-H-A-M, all one word, at fullstory.com. Uh, feel free to reach out. Happy to answer questions and connect. Awesome. Thanks again, Mark. And uh, that's it for this episode. Um, Two things. One, if uh, you've kind of managed the the growth uh, from startup to larger company, uh, yeah, I, I really think it'd be awesome to have more of these stories on about the lessons learned of uh, both you know, managing the growth, adjusting the culture, and um, I think those are it'd be awesome to have you on. Or if you know someone that could speak to that topic, please let me know. I'd love to have them on. And then, uh, secondly, if the podcast has been useful, share it with somebody else, uh, leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen to it. That's how the podcast has been growing. I can't thank you enough until next time. Thank you. And goodbye.